In the tumultuous period of the late 1930s and early 1940s, the world witnessed a series of invasions and alliances that ultimately led to the outbreak of World War II. Italy's invasion of Ethiopia in 1935 and Japan's invasion of Manchuria in northeast China in 1937 set the stage for an alliance between Germany, Italy and Japan, known as the Axis Powers. With Germany's subsequent invasion of Poland in 1939, England and France declared war. This marked the beginning of the global conflict which escalated as Germany swiftly conquered much of continental Europe. Welcome to Growing Up Woodbrook. I'm Cecile George, Woodbrook born and raised and a member of the Woodbrook Residence Committee. Parts of Woodbrook became a hotbed of activity during the years 1939 to 1945, and many of its residents were deeply involved in the war effort. We're taking a look at how this quiet little middle-class community dealt with the issue of war right on its doorstep, and how the international conflict itself influenced the neighborhood. This is episode 9. Woodbrook at War. The discovery of oil in southern Trinidad in 1866 was the start of an entirely new and valuable industry. By 1912, a small refinery was built in Point Forte, and from 1914, Trinidad's oil became crucial to Britain's efforts in World War I. By 1930, over 10 million barrels of crude oil were being produced annually, and oil was also being brought from Venezuela to be refined locally. By the time France fell to the Germans in May 1940, yearly refinery output was over 104 million barrels. Trinidad played a major role in World War II because of our location. We are the gateway to South America and also of our natural resources, which is gas, oil, bauxite, and pitch. These reserves were crucial to both the Allied and Axis powers. The Bases Agreement of 1940, signed between Britain and the United States, gave England 50 old U.S. destroyers in exchange for 99-year leases that allowed the Americans to establish bases throughout the Caribbean. These bases would be used as a defense network to protect South American trade routes and the Panama Canal. Even though they were neutral in the war, they were still concerned about the security of the region. So they wanted to basically have a force field. So when you look at the bases established, moving from Trinidad right up the island chain. So you had a base in St. Lucia, Barbados, Antigua, and it's all linked going right up to the Northern Atlantic in Newfoundland. When you link all of those bases with a line on a map, it basically forms a, a force field for the entire region. Alan Ali is the senior tour guide at the Shagaramas Military Museum. In 40 and 41, Trinidad was losing a lot of ships and the defense were very poor. That's why the Americans intervened and, well, the British had asked the Americans for help. So here alone had 60 seaplanes based here in Shagaramas. It had guns mounted on Gaspri Island, Gaspri Island, Shakashakari. They made anti-submarine nets, which was hand-plotted by women, and they would just have about two, three men to just keep on stretching it while they are plotting it. That was stretched throughout the whole Gulf of Paria. That, that was to stop the submarines, divers, and torpedoes from getting into the merchant ships. When you're inside of here, you come like you're protected. 
But so as you break the third bocas and you out in the open waters, it's just uh, go fast and go where you're going quickly as possible <laughs> because they are out there. Naval Base Trinidad became the southern anchor of this defensive network, eventually hosting over 100,000 American soldiers. All ships have to come to Trinidad for supply. The big ones, they will go to other countries, but the small ones will come here, take it, and carry it to the bigger countries for the bigger ships to pick it up. As there were only about half a million Trinidadians during the first half of the 1940s, this meant that American soldiers comprised almost one-fifth of the country's population. The Gulf of Paria was known as the largest training ground in the Western Hemisphere, and it still is. All American ships, as they produce them, they have to come down to Trinidad, do training in the Gulf of Paria for three months before they go to work. Trinidad had 17 airfields and 226 war bases because Germans were very active in the Gulf of Paria and in the Caribbean because they wanted to stop the merchant ships. They lost 250 merchant ships just around Port of Spain alone. The cargo of those merchant ships was of paramount importance to the Allied defense. Fuel, oil, bauxite, because remember the bauxite is used to make aluminum. The pitch, they use it to plug holes in ships and basically food supplies and so on. Trinidad was really very, very active during the Second World War. One barracks, built in 1941, received construction materials for the Shagaramas base on the Northwest Peninsula. Informally known as Dockside, it was located on the south side of Rison Road, the southern boundary of Woodbrook. The war came and the lease arrangement with the Americans took place and the building of barracks for American troops on that southern side of Rison Road began to take place. So all of that led to what turned out to be the transformation of Woodbrook, which was a quiet residential area. And it began to take on a more bustling shape. Dockside was American in the sense that that part of the Port of Spain Wharf was U.S. territory. It was leased to them. And that is with their transmission, that was their port of entry for all goods coming into Trinidad for their base at Chagarama, for Fort Reed, for Wallafield. And also it was the point of departure, it is a port through which where there's two dock sites and their ships would be. Populated by Navy, Marines, Air Force and Army troops, Dockside was notorious for its illicit activities and fights between U.S. servicemen and locals. I ain't choking down. I ain't afraid to death. I was born in a graveyard. Let me tell you flat. The character of the area began to change with the advent of the American troops. There were a few body houses that sprung up in the Woodbrook area and inevitably rendered out large numbers of military personnel barracked in the locality. These developments take place. Musso Scribo Jack Slade, the great fire Kong, he and all the freed me in As a boy, Dr. Ian Lee lived at the corner of Carlos Street and Arapita Avenue during the early and mid-1940s. I remember seeing them, so Mack trucks as they call them, full of American soldiers driving up Carlos Street. Carlos Street seemed to be in a main thoroughfare or crossway between Rison Road and Tragridge Road. The Americans had some troop transport vehicles that were very large, unknown to us prior to their arrival. 
there was residential accommodation here and of course there were American establishments in Wallowfield and other parts of the place and the, their main base was at Chagarama so you got these huge vehicles passing through Woodbrook on their way east which would have been the Eastern Main Road until they built the Churchill Roosevelt Highway to overcome the congestion but to accommodate the movement of their huge vehicles as well. One of the things that always stood out to me were the trenches that were scattered all over Harrison Square. They were called buried shelters. They were already just pits in the ground, probably about 15 to 20 scattered over the square, about 12 feet long, 6 to 7 feet wide, and about 6 to 8 feet deep. I remember them quite clearly. There were no steps going into them, so any child who went in there would not have been able to come out. An adult might have been able to come out, not a child. So that, you know, we're dangerous. I don't think they would ever let that happen in these days, walking trenches, just like that. There were a couple of them quite close to Arbita Avenue. It was as if they were made not manually, but by a machine. They were equal, identical, and cheap on size. Not oriented in any particular way, but they're scattered. I remember also thinking that because there were these trenches, although there are a lot of children around, living around the square, you never saw any boys playing football or cricket. And this is because, of course, the balls will always end up in these pits. So at the time, it was mainly for sitting out, and you saw many people in the afternoon sitting out with prams, a few prams and so. That's what Arsenal was used for. But it wasn't just the natural resources of Trinidad that contributed to the Allies winning the war. Trinidadians and Tobagonians were an essential part of the war effort themselves. The Right Reverend Clive Abdullah, former bishop of the Anglican Church in Trinidad and Tobago, remembers playing an important role. At that stage, I was at Queen's Royal College. I had joined the Air Scouts, and the Scouts were recruited as messengers for the regular security system. So I would turn up at a designated time, I would be given a time. So I would show up on my bicycle with a light that I could, this could be dimmed. I would be given certain tasks, carry this message to so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, wait for the answer and whatnot. So we were carriers. We learned firsthand what security was all about. And so scouts were used very widely by the security forces to be messengers. You all heard of the exploits of Flight Lieutenant Cross, and who eventually became squadron leader, Albert Cross. We saw it in the paper. We had a family friend, a young woman, who was in the ATS. The Women's Auxiliary Territorial Services was a voluntary force established in Britain in 1938 and gained full military status in 1941. In the beginning, they fulfilled traditional female support roles, but over the course of the war, they moved into roles normally performed by men, such as butchers, drivers, ammunition inspectors, and military police. Recruits also came from England's colonies, 600 from the West Indies. Half of those remained in the Caribbean, while 200 served in the United States and 100 in the United Kingdom. Who confess she love me And she's from respectable family And she said that she had a soldier Who is treating her much better While the U.S. bases inspired many of the era's more salacious calypsos, they also influenced Trinidad's most famous musical invention, 
Emerging from the hills of Laventille, many of the newly formed steel bands adopted the names of wartime Hollywood films. The bands that began the 1940s as Hellyard, Merry Boys, River Lady and Laventille Boys are now known as All Stars, Casablanca, Tokyo and Desperados. The visiting U.S. soldiers embraced the steel pan and all the island's other cultural art forms like Calypso and Limbo for their entertainment while stationed in country. The music and dances traveled back to the United States and England, creating new opportunities for local artists. Calypsos like Lord Invader's Rum and Coca-Cola were re-recorded by popular American groups, becoming international hits. And in the 1940s, Woodbrook birthed a new generation of artists and artisans who were to explode onto the scene in the coming decades, transforming our carnival, the pan, and the culturescape of the country as a whole. It was only good just for planting rice, but look at it now, it is our paradise. Oh, what a decent locality, now is the Woodbrook vicinity. Next time, we look at the rapidly changing world of Woodbrook. Who were its new residents? Where did they come from? What did they do? What were their hopes, dreams, aspirations? And how did they transform Woodbrook into an area that soon started to occupy a symbolic socio-economic place in Trinidad's development? But now what a decent locality is the Woodbrook vicinity. I'm your host, Cecile George. Our podcast is a companion to the Growing Up Woodbrook book, currently available worldwide, jointly published by the Woodbrook Residence Committee and the National Trust of Trinidad and Tobago. This podcast was made possible by the hard work and dedication of many people, including Shagaramas Military Museum tour guide Alan Ali, Woodbrook residents Dr. Ian Lee and Miguel Brown, former government minister Overan Padmore, and former Anglican Bishop of Trinidad and Tobago, the Right Reverend Clive Abdullah. Now is the Woodbrook vicinity. The music in this episode was History of the Woodbrook Vicinity by the Mighty Growler, Bajons by the Mighty Sparrow, Lion O by Hellyard Steel Band and the Roaring Lion and Yankee Dollar by Lord Invader. And dancing halls, we even got a billiard saloon and all. So what a decent locality. Now is the word we invite you to join us. Subscribe and spread the word. Tell a friend or ten about our podcast and our book. Want to ask a question or leave a comment? Click in the link in the show notes to record a voicemail. And we'll see you back here next time on Growing Up Woodbrook, the podcast. Mm-hmm.